0: What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I hope you're feeling well today. I hope you're feeling good. I'm feeling great. What a wild weekend and last couple weeks I've had. Wolfpack had a residency in Brooklyn, eight shows in a row. It was fantastic. It was so much fun. Feels like every time, like we don't do a ton of gigs, but every time we get together, it kind of feels like some sort of family reunion or something. It's really fun. I guess that's like one of the nice things about not playing a lot is that every time we get together, it's special. And like I never have the opportunity to just like take it for granted or something. And also weekend capped off with, get this, I played with Dave Matthews Bandit, Madison Square Garden. I couldn't believe it. I I couldn't believe it. Straight up dream come true. I was such a DMB freak when I was a kid. As a matter of fact, I'm looking right now across my office. I have two Dave Matthews Band Tab books that I bought when I was in like seventh grade. That's insane. It was so much fun. It was really great. And it's one of those things, seriously. Sometimes people will ask me to sit in with them and play some songs. Like they asked me to play five or six tunes with them. And we ended up doing five. But they're like, what songs do you know? I was like, well, here's a list of 35 or 40 that I could do in my sleep. And I mean that in a good way. And they're like, okay, but let's do these. Sometimes... I sit in with somebody, and it, I have to really work. Like, oh, okay, let me like in a shed. I got to make sure I got a couple hours a day here and there, and then really focus on stuff ahead of time, and like you know work stuff up. This was the opposite. It's like I've been preparing my whole life for this sit in. Like, I I just they sent me the tunes. I'm like, got it, cool. The only thing I had to do, I went to go listen online to look at recent gigs that they were playing, if there were any arrangement differences. And there's a couple little things doing like, oh, okay, they add this line here, or there's this sort of break, or Tim Reynolds does this sort of fill thing here. So I'm just gonna, you know, I just wanted to know where to leave space, where to just lay in the cut, where to step out and add things. And honestly, they were just like, yeah, do whatever. We, You're here because we love what you do. So do your thing and step out when it's your time to step out. So it was really fun. They were really welcoming Very warm, it was a fantastic time. What a cool hang. I could not say enough nice things about them and their crew. They were very, very welcoming and it was very fun. Talk about fun, you know who's fun? Margaret Crosby. Margaret Crosby is dope. Singer, songwriter, guitar player. I can't remember the first time I found out about Margaret. I think it was through YouTube, just like everybody else. I guess we find out about things through YouTube. Probably the Tiny Desk concert. And then I started just kind of deep diving like yo, what's with the guitar tone? This is sick. And I really started digging a lot of the the things that she was doing with guitar and the way that it works with the voice because I think there's an interesting relationship that the guitar player has with the singer when they are the same person. Like they kind of don't allow themselves to get in the way and it's always something that complements the vocal and it's something that I think many of us guitar players that accompany a lot of other singers can learn from by watching, studying, that sort of thing. And Margaret has a new record out, Echo the Diamond. It is very good. We get into it right away talking about that. But if you are not familiar, I'd say you can either pause right now and go listen to a couple clips, or if you're listening to this and you've clicked on it because of Margaret Glaspie's name, then you already know what's happening. And she is a very wonderful person, had a great conversation. I'm stoked for this, so let's not wait any longer. Margaret Glaspie. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you wanna use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Cory Wong, and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, distrokid. All right, let's hit this episode. Margaret, thanks for being with us. It's great to see you today. Yeah, you too. I like whatever room you're in has a cool piece of art behind you.
1: Oh yeah, that's my Buddha. I've got my Buddha in here. and in my office. It's my like little dungeon.
0: <laughs> I love that you have some Minnesota band on, on your last record. This record is so much fun. I love listening to this album. And actually before I even knew who was on the album, I was like, wow, this reminds me of like Halloween, Alaska era, Dave King. And then I looked at the personnel. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Dave King.
1: Yeah, you're right on the money there. Yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah, I I grew up listening to Dave and Chris Morrissey. And it's always fun as somebody from like, I know like all Canadians know who every Canadian musician is. It's similar are like, I love seeing Minnesota musicians. But what was really fun about listening to your new album was compared to other albums, it felt like there was a different, musical freedom in the mm. performances, but the, the writing, obviously the writing and everything about the lyricism, it was so intentional and very well crafted, but it was surrounded by this really interesting version of playing songs where the songs are being respected and there's intentionality behind making sure that the, the focus is the focus. But it felt like there was a lot more freedom in the whole thing. Was that planned as far as the way that you put this record together? Thank you for
1: those beautiful words. That's so sweet of you. So thank you. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was, I think that the way that I've con- kind of evolved over time in making records is I, I often now write them on an acoustic guitar. And by the time I'm making a record, it's kind of like recovering my songs at that point. Mm. And so it's kind of what I did on my f- first record emotions and math. And now on this one, um, it was kind of like really doubling down on that mentality and hiring musicians that, you know, I knew were really locked and loaded. Obviously, sure. <laughs> Dave King and Chris Morrissey. It's kind of like an insane, you know, meeting of the minds in many ways. Um, and so to have them be a part of it was such a cool intentional choice because, I knew that if I just put anything in front of them, they're going to reiterate it in their way and their very unique and wonderful way. And so to put these songs that were completely arranged and written and that work was very done. And then to put it in our collective hands meant that something was going to happen that was had, would have life of its own, which was really fun. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was intentionally a very live feeling record. And also playing it with them in particular, there's just a, a kind of boundlessness and like a freedom that they bring that uh, really kind of was a breath of life into something that was already had a life in a way. So it was like these kind of, it's a lot of momentum in the studio. It really felt like air blew through the studio mm. and then a record was made. It was really unique for me personally.
0: Was, did you, I assume that you recorded all those songs live together at the same time? Yes,
1: yes, totally. And is that how you normally
0: do it or have you done it different from the past?
1: The only one that I haven't really done that way was my second record, Devotion, my like COVID record. Um, And that one was more like in the studio, we're thinking about, you know, different moves that we could make, layering things, finishing writing things. My first record was pretty live. We're just Mm -hmm. their performances that are captured, and this one is even more so. I would say that way, there's even less overdubs on this one. My first record, Emotions and Math, we did some layering afterward. We still did, did that a little bit with Echo the Diamond, but this one was pretty like what you're hearing is mostly what happened, you know, in the studio.
0: Which do you prefer, and why?
1: I increasingly prefer to do my homework ahead of time. And then yeah. when I get in the studio, let go and have, I, I don't really, I don't enjoy being in the studio, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's <laughs> not like, I don't, I'm not, like, not loving, it's it's anxiety provoking for me sure. to just sit there and kind of be like, so what do you think we should do? Like, that's not where I'm at. <laughs> when I get in the yeah. Studio, I want to like get in, execute and get out. I don't want to hang for very long. So I like hanging out in like home studios and sure. you know like hanging with friends, but in a proper studio, I'm good. I don't really want to stay there for very
0: long. Yeah, I've actually heard a lot of people say that, but I love really? I love the thing that you're saying. I'm doing my homework. I'm coming in prepared, and then you just I I am that way. I'll, whenever I do yeah, my I was records, ask
1: you how do you prefer it in terms of your own music?
0: I like doing it that way, and I normally will send demos and say my my terminology. I like to use is come gig ready.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Don't right. come
0: thinking like, oh, yeah, we're gonna, just going to kind of like, oh, I don't know what the bridge is. We'll kind of figure no, it no, out. No, no, yeah.
1: Just come and deliver.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like and Because that way, at least you have a much stronger starting point. Yeah. And then, okay, I guess this didn't work as well with the whole live band. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. change this, this, this. Right. I love I, That's interesting. I like that that's the way that you do it because also you probably, in some way, and I'm saying this from my own experiences, sometimes you're just in there you capture the moment it is technically the definitive version or whatever cuz it's the album version but then you also kind of allow yourself to let the song have a life of its own where it's like yeah this is where the song was today and like you're saying it feels like you're covering the song but then when you go on tour and you play it the song evolves and you probably yeah, do different yeah. things and then
1: yeah it's a photograph it feels like a photograph which is cool you you like you let something happen that day and that i feel like it makes it even more special When you're in the studio, because it really feels like, wow, we're here now, making what will be heard then, and it really—it's banking on our musicality. It's not banking on our ideas of what we can puzzle together. It's banking on what can you do right now in the moment, which I think is super special, really cool, and of course, mixing and mastering and all the things that go into making a record. Uh, you know, I mean, that was all Brett Bouillon was the, was the, uh, mixing engineer on this Huntley Miller was m- mastering engineer, very Minnesota crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all of them, uh, that was also just really, you know, melted the record together and, and made it what it was, but the performances, I think to have that be what's on display, I get really excited. I like risk, you know, I like the yeah. risk being like a, a big part of it. Um, that's why I'm excited to capture is risk because I think that's also, I wouldn't say like a dying art, but I think in some ways it might be um, in terms of capturing things that kind of instigate risk. Sure. A lot, a lot more these days, I think, because we have so the, such a massive ability to perfect and you know like get things on the grid, et cetera uh, it, the risk kind of gets a little weeded out and it becomes a different project, which I like plenty of that music as well. But I think my flag is for risk. That's the one that I fly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. And especially with the whole remote recording thing now where it's like everybody has a remote recording rig. Yeah. And I'm down. I, I do a lot of my stuff remote and I have, of course, you know, when yeah. I have to, but it's like, I can just sit here in my room which, sorry, you're looking at a mess of a room here behind me. But um, <laughs> it's like I could sit here for an hour and just kind of tinker with my parts where I could just, I would have normally just gone to the studio, played the part, gotten some bio feedback from like, you know, an excited face or like a eh, maybe try something else. We're here, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I have all those emotions for myself. And I'm like, is this what they want? Well, let me give the best version of it then. Let me make sure that it's... Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's almost like you have too much time to yes. be able to perfect and to hone in. But then I feel like it's interesting too, just the difference, because you go to a studio, you pay a premium to be at a studio. You know, like this is time that you, you only have so much time. And this is this environment that's been set up to be ideal for recording, etc. It's very brick and mortar type uh-huh. of deal. And I think that's, In my mind, I think it's kind of fun to pay the premium and have the pressure on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To say like, all right, let's like put down the money, be in this environment that we can only be in for so long and have our kind of musicality ride on that. You know, like we have to just have, we only have, we made that record in three days. Cool. We only have so much time and let's just do it and- it's kind of like, or we can do it more remote, spread it out, it'll cost less, you know, in a way, but it'll kind of add up probably to about the same amount anyway. And take our time and kind of like juicing out all the good stuff and meditating on what it needs to be, which I think both are really cool. I don't think there's really honestly just one way. I think one way works better for me. But I think they're just different avenues in and I like the Let's pay the premium and just throw down for a few days.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's cool.
1: That's my my way for sure.
0: (laughs) I like that. I've seen you play in a couple different settings. The main ones I've seen is trio, where you have a bass player and a drummer and you're playing guitar and singing, or sometimes just you singing and playing guitar. I am always curious, guitar player, singers, singer-songwriters who choose not to have other chordal instruments, you take on... Quite a big responsibility as far as a guitar player. I'm wondering what setting you're most comfortable in and how you kind of tailor the way you play guitar to those different ensembles.
1: That's a good question. I think that for myself, the solo gig is like a lot of, it's a lot of real estate. Um, I'm trying to like think about frequency ranges for the most part, I think. I don't always think about that in real time. But then when I look back on it, I go, oh, I think that's subconsciously what I was trying for. A little bit of bass information. Mm-hmm. My voice is kind of uh, a little more high-mid information. The chords are kind of the lower-mid information. And then all the lead stuff is usually the highs. That's yeah. kind of how I think of it. Like, sure. how can we... Fill up the full spectrum, and when anything's doubling too much, I like to kind of move it around so that we're kind of plugging in all the different things so that's like the solo thing and then when I get to band it's kind of similar, but just who's plugging into what sometimes I'm guilty of doubling the bass because i'm I'm kind of a bass guitar player in a way <laughs> sure. I play a lot of bass lines on the guitar, uh, and so increasingly i'm learning to kind of get out of the bass player's way, uh, but it's hard for me. Hmm. And I think that that's, it's kind of the same thing applied. So once I have bass involved, I'm, I'm kind of the middle information or the mids high mids is the voice. I think of sometimes the drums being a little bit of everything, but often it's, it's, it's for some reason in my mind, it's, it's like kind of occupying, like the snare is kind of what I think of. It's like the slightly higher information. And then, um, You know, I think sometimes what I've I've thought about a little bit, and my husband Julie and I talk about this all the time, is kind of the BB King approach is not always singing while you're playing, has kind of been a thing that I've started to also employ. It's like you don't have to do it all all the time, (laughs) which I think, especially when you're the only guitar player, like I come off the stage exhausted, you know, because there isn't anyone else. If I stop playing, nothing else happens. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm starting to kind of like get rid of the fear. Cause I think there's a little bit of fear of me, like just keep playing, just keep playing. Cause yeah, you yeah. know, it's instilled a little <laughs> bit of a fear in me that if I stop, nothing else will happen. But actually if I stop other things do happen, like, you know, bass player kicks in a little more drummer takes a cue, you know, like everybody kind of does react, which yeah. I think is exciting also. Totally. Um, so I think it's just a, all of it has its own kind of risk and, and puzzle involved. It's just kind of, changing what it is based on who you're playing with and the orchestration for sure
0: that's cool when you're playing live in the studio and you're just going through playing the songs down and trying to capture them like that you know it's a little different than obviously the overdubbing thing so the role of a producer is to kind of say okay this is all that stuff that's happening like you're saying is this information being covered? And when it's not being covered, does it need something else to be in the place? When you put on your producer hat or your listener hat, or when you bring other people in to kind of help produce or whatever, what do you think the best thing is that that person can bring to the table? And and when I mean that person, I kind of mean you when you shift roles from singer, songwriter, guitar player. Yeah when you change modes to, okay, now I need to listen to this as a whole. What do you think? Cause, cause I think some people are, the role of a producer is kind of elusive nowadays, you know, like as far as how how younger people define a producer, but I'm curious for you, like what you look for out of yourself as a producer and other producers you've worked with.
1: Yeah. I have, I've mostly like, uh, it's interesting the partnerships that I've had in production. My, my husband and I, Julian Julian and I, Julian Lodge, my husband.
0: Yes, we I know that, collaborate
1: yeah. a lot. You know him. You guys are buddies. Yeah. We collaborate a lot. And it's really just like a part of our, you know, friendship, our marriage, all the things. We yeah. just do that naturally. Cool. So there's never been anything that I've made that he's not been a part of, and vice versa. We just work on each other's stuff with one another. Mm-hmm. So his that partnership has always been. Such a cool one because he knows me as a person and where my heart is with music and what I crave to put into the world. And so I think that um, a big part of that is just keeping each other in check of like, are you doing it? Or are you not doing it? <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you doing what you intended? Are you getting a little distracted? Or like, are you your best guitar player right now? You know, like mm. questions like that get asked. That's a big one is like, would you hire, would you continue to hire the guitar player or would you fire them? You know? Mm. And that's like talking to me as I play guitar for myself. You sure. <laughs> would you continue to hire that singer or would you fire them? It's a really interesting thing because you start to look at yourself as a musician and less of just this all encompassing orb that did it all. And, uh, you know, I produced it, I sang it, I did all that. Well, who cares? Is it cool? You know, <laughs> yeah. what's the point? <laughs> so there's been a couple times where we set up, for this record, we did that. I set up a, a camera, we like an iPad in the living room, and I played my songs for the camera. And then we washed it back together and decided would we fire the guitar player or would we keep them? <laughs> <laughs> and we did the same for the songwriter, the singer. You know, and there were times of like I would have fired the guitar player on this song. Like Mm. it wasn't happening. You know, it was boring. I lost interest. They were overplaying a little bit. They're getting in the way of the singer. You know, like stuff would come up that was kind of fun because you could talk about it objectively. There wasn't any feelings that were being harbored. So sure. He and I have a cool thing there where we can both really dive in and there's um of course, you know, you can get sensitivities around certain things but for the most part it's we're pretty like open book and we can really do that i think more so than anybody else i can do that with him because i know where he's coming from yeah um, and then i my second record i made with my friends wonderful man tyler chester tyler's incredible but he's uh he's worked on a, a lot of maddie cunningham records he's worked on uh, with the the sarah sarah and sean watkins a bunch he's worked on a a bunch of different things, some cerebrella stuff, but he's a, he's amazing. And he's a bass player and keys and production, really musical guy, but he, uh, he worked with me on my second record. And that was really fun because it was just kind of maybe a slightly more traditional approach to production where I could just have someone around that I trusted. That was wonderful. And we could play in the studio and make something together. And that was really, really cool. And he would kind of, try and capture you know really special moments and we would kind of it was a little more of let's hang in the studio and make something together and he's the one person i could actually do that with and not feel super anxious so sure um yeah i think it's all the above but these days i'm about like who would you fire and who would you keep
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's great i love that i'm I'm thinking about that for myself myself. now too yeah i know (laughs) I'm like, all right, I need to go back and listen to my own.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, would you hire yourself or would you fire yourself? It's hard to do sometimes, but it's also kind of cool because you just can abandon all of your attachments, you know, and just yeah. be like, well, I don't know I, that part. I'm kind of overplaying or whatever. Like I say stuff about myself now, or it's just kind of like ruthless.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's talk guitar gear because you have really cool tones.
1: Oh, thanks, man. I and obviously that.
0: that's a, that's a subjective, like cool tones. But I think there's just interesting guitar tones on the album. And just in general, even when I listen back to older stuff, I've seen, I think on this most recent one, I saw a lot of videos with you with a telly and a small Fender tube amp. Can you tell me about what you've been using uh, like recently and what you're excited about for signal flow?
1: Yeah, most, most recently I I play through, um, it's like a Mike Moody Magic Amp. It's like a, a remake of like a black panel Princeton, um, okay. which is sounds great. And I got a guitar right before I made this record. Um, before I was always playing it's the white guitar, caster, just a telly. Yeah. Um, with like fancy Ron Ellis pickups in it, which is fun. Yeah. And then... I got a um, Telly Deluxe at T.R. Crandall. Shout out to T.R. Crandall, the best, the one and only. Um, I don't know if you go to that
0: spot ever, but I have been there. I also heard. Were you a luthier there? We got to come back to that.
1: I I worked there. I was a salesperson, and then I apprenticed a little bit under um, Tom Crandall. He like taught me how to reset a neck on a guitar, which is super cool. He's the best. (laughs) Um,
0: Great. so, So you had that guitar.
1: So I got that guitar like m- less than a week, probably like three or four days before I went into the studio. I just thought, let's just go to Crandall and see what happens. <laughs> and yeah. Then, and then something happened. <laughs> so I got that guitar <laughs> and that was something that I was not used to. It's like, you know, two or three times the weight of the guitar I was used to playing. Yeah. Um, double humbucking, like just a totally different beast. But I really loved it because it's sustain and was this kind of, like rock and roll experience that I hadn't really had in the past. The, the Dano, the decay is almost more similar to like an acoustic instrument. It dies off a lot quicker. Um, and maybe has a little more of a country thing to it. And this one, there's like a darkness and a sustain to it. That's kind of different. So I got that guitar. I used a lot of the telly deluxe on that record. Uh And then, um, I went through the Princeton for that record also, uh, that, that Mike Moody kind of knockoff Princeton. Yeah. And then I reamped some stuff through a champ. That was kind of my setup for the record. Nice. Live, it's pretty minimal. I use that same black panel Princeton. And then I have my tuning pedal, <laughs> boss tuning pedal. Nice. I have this... Peak Cornish unit that I use. And that's kind of like the biggest player in my game. I would say in terms of like any, anything that's being effective, I kind of use that as like a preamp. So that I'm using this, the literally the compression is at zero. So it makes things like bloom, but it doesn't really compress it quite sure. a, like really, yeah, yeah. uh, it kind of feels like a boost. And then I use the, um, it's kind of like a gain structure. Like I'm using the, just the gain on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the, the kind of crunchy channel, there's a clean and a crunch to that one. Um, it's kind of like a customy. It was given to us as a wedding present, which is very sweet. Nice. <laughs> Only Julian and I could receive. Yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so that was very sweet. It's pretty big, you know, it's like, this big it's quite large what is it um, called I, i'm
0: not familiar with it. pete cornish it,
1: it's uh it's it's an oc1 and a cc1 one in one i believe you should look up I, I hope i'm not saying oh that these
0: i've seen the usually it's one or the other yes the i've seen happened. i've never seen them together but these are dope i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about i didn't yeah, i didn't I remember know. that these were I'm now that i can see the pedal yeah these are cool
1: Yeah, they're really cool. Um, I highly, highly recommend. And there's not, you know, in terms of things that are making something crunch or overdrive, there's just like zero sibilance. It's really a Mm. warm, lot of headroom kind of thing. You could keep turning it up and it's not going to give you anything bad, essentially, which is, it'll be loud, but it won't be bad. (laughs) So I like that a lot. And then I use just like the Strymon, you know, reverb and tremolo pedal. What's that one called? The, the one flint. with both in it. Yes, the Flint. The exactly. Flint. Yeah, that was That's a cool it. one. That's my whole setup. I've started to bypass my tuning pedal, mm. which has kind of been fun. I have a tiny, the tiniest little volume um, pedal, and I've started to bypass my tuning pedal. I'm I'm kind of getting into this zone where I don't care about people hearing me tune, which has been yeah, a revelation. <laughs> like, oh, kind of down my you know like turn the volume down and tune a little bit and just let it be heard it's okay (laughs) and that's been kind of freeing for me i think it's a little bit of a buzzkill when like guitar signal just completely cuts out and then the tuning (laughs) guitar signals back on (laughs) but just let it be heard like it's okay yeah (laughs) we're so afraid of um that's something also that i've kind of become excited about
0: I saw Leo Kotke years ago. He used to do this every Thanksgiving, he would do a big show in the Twin Cities. And he was somebody who I real I, I was always showing him respect in internally because he would he was very open about, he I mean, obviously he's playing acoustic guitar and there's like a mic and stuff, but yeah, and he's just yeah. tuning up there, but he's talking as he's doing it, just not really acknowledging, but not really caring that, yeah, I'm tuning this is a twelve string guitar. It's yeah. gonna take a second, so I'm gonna it's talk what to it you takes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I
1: feel like it's kind of like teaching an audience, you know, like in a way, like this is what it is happening actually. <laughs> yeah, let's not hide what's actually needed in order to make this go um for sure, yeah, that's an interesting one how many how many pedals are you using at once?
0: Oh, it depends on the gig. With Wolfpack, I don't use a lot. Really, I just have my compressor and then I have a little multi-effects thing that I use just sparingly. But pretty much with Wolfpack, almost everything is just my compressor and clean electric guitar because that's my role in the band, you know? Yeah. But um, with Fearless Flyers and with Corey Wong band, with my thing, I have, I use a wireless unit because I'm running around stage, you know?
1: Right, right, right. I
0: have a... Compressor, envelope filter, overdrive, fuzz, volume, wah combo. So and then cool. I have a a multi-effects unit that just has—it's kind of a catch-all. Like, eh, I just want to have some fun with other tones. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, so cool. I gotta see your, I gotta see your board one day, man. Yeah,
0: I'll send you, a, I'll send you a picture. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I and mean, you can see yeah, a totally ble- below here in my room. There's like, oh, here's this half pedal board that I took apart so I could build the other one for my tour. Oh, there's a I half pedal board. Yeah, <laughs> like right It's there. a never-ending journey. <laughs> yes, this one fits in this suitcase. This one fits in this suitcase. <laughs> yeah. you know,
1: right. The transport of of pedals is a thing.
0: Yes. Which actually my thing now I I had my, my production managers like, dude, please just get a nice Pelican and put your, put your board in there. It'll be clean. It'll be good. We could pull it out, blah, blah, blah. You know, so much easier. So I do that. And then everywhere we go, that's not in the U.S., I get stopped because nobody on vacation is bringing a Pelican. So yeah, everybody going through gross. customs who's got a pelican gets yeah, stopped. they're like, "You. <laughs> yes. You're the
1: one with the suspicious stuff." <laughs> yeah,
0: they're like, "You're here to work." I'm like, "Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I am." But now I put yeah. it in my suitcase and I just walk through. Even if I'm carrying two guitars, two suitcases, they're just like, "Oh, yeah, this
1: must I be know. moving to it's,
0: Madrid, you know." Yeah, totally. <laughs>
1: it's like a balance of attracting more attention or not and <laughs> travel. It's a thing. It's a real thing. It's wild.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was a Bruce Lee kid. I loved Bruce Lee growing up.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, special. special. And I cat. heard,
0: I heard you got you got some inspo on your new record from Bruce Lee. Yeah, from a very famous quote. Tell me, tell me a little bit about this because I'm always every album, people try to find some sort of guiding light or something that's like, yeah, that's the thing. That's what this album is going to be surrounded. And I heard that there was a Bruce Lee thing with this album. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, totally. I was so inspired by his journey. Um, And I've always been a fan. And I think what kind of really revved the engine is I saw the documentary, which I think is called Be Water. Um, yeah. But that documentary is so inspiring just to learn a little more about his life. And um yeah, I mean, the hardest working guy, the most talented guy, and one of these examples of somebody that was like, did both, you know, like, was the most talented and was the most hardworking, was the most like, talk about like doing your homework, (laughs) showing up prepared, showing up prepared, but then also like a spirituality about him that was so heavy and and really cool. And when I heard that quote, be water, it really did, um, it, it connected with me in a big way. And I think finding this strength and flexibility and finding this strength and the capability to kind of, shape shift, but then also like you're still yourself at the same time. I don't know. There's something about that quote that really hit me. And we were working actually on one of my husband's records and he was asking for titles and I had just seen the Bruce Lee documentary not so long ago. And then the title Echo the Diamond came out of my mouth and Julian was like, Nah, not for me. <laughs> he wasn't into it. <laughs> and then I but I was like, I'm keeping that one though. Yeah. I think that's because that one's for me. Um and it did kind of it it felt like my own version of the be water thing it felt like uh you know just like a without shame shining bright and and being and trying to fill up your potential it felt like echo the diamond to me um, It kind of means a lot of different things. It doesn't mean anything, honestly. Echo the diamond is a senseless, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but for me, it means a lot of different things. And that's one of the things, it's kind of a command, you know, like do it, mm. echo the diamond. Um And so, yeah, that, that one spoke to me, I think at the time, especially because it became out of a, writing that record came out of a very difficult time for me. So learning how to kind of, shine bright without any apology was uh, a lesson in itself. And also, I think maybe a lesson in, you know, I think sometimes maybe what the music industry or, or maybe what I perceive of the music industry demanding of musicians at times and the trends that come through and, you know, like the things that you think you're supposed to be or think you're supposed to do become chaotic and kind of there's a lot of interference and static that kind of comes through. What am I, what am I doing? You know, sure. is something that I experienced for sure. And learning that like, whether, uh, people want it or not, my own version of brilliance is what I have to offer, you know? Um, and that's all I can give uh, really is and I, when all I really want to give, I think that's probably what we all want to give on some is on some level is you know like our potential and goodness and joy into the world and so that uh you know that was my attempt at doing something like that, and I think that sometimes there's even for me, especially as um a singer and a songwriter, and maybe somebody that is perceived as being truthful at times in my own writing. I think that there's almost a pressure to have a darkness that uh, comes with that, Mm. or at least sometimes I feel that or projection toward my way that there is, you know, sadness and darkness that's involved because you're emoting a lot and you're bringing a lot to the table on emotional level. But for me, creating and being honest about maybe sadness or, um, you know, dark times, there's a joy in it because it is like the truth. Um, so for me, you know, shining bright, trying to be my full self, I think, uh, whether it comes out as sadness or anger, et cetera, there's a joy in being able to do it because it's like, gosh, I can't believe I can. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's a miracle that we're all here just trying anything. So, uh, that's what, that's what I'm giving a whack at. Who knows if it's actually happening, but yeah, yeah. that's, that's echoed the diamond for me.
0: Well, and the fact that you you are somebody who has the ability to express how you feel about those things, where some, I mean, there's plenty of people that are sad or go through really tough things that just don't have this, any form of art that they feel comfortable expressing their experiences of those things with, you know? Right, I feel Which maybe like, sometimes I feel, we take for granted. I don't know.
1: Right, I don't know. I think that sometimes- uh you know, in terms of any sense, I'm not sure if like purpose is really even a word. Like, I don't know what purpose really is or if it's real. But I think that for me, there's something that I do feel empowered when I get on stage is that there's something there for me in being able to have the ability to do, do that on some level. And I feel that from the audience of my own music that they're looking for it from me <laughs> like you come to a place to get something it's not just and that's I think the exchange for all music like we're giving something that somebody wants and that's the miraculous truly miraculous I mean what a trip that we go into a room go on stage make noise and then people are like oh thank you, <laughs> you know? yeah it's weird it's crazy it's like really really kind of you know like some mystical shit for sure <laughs> yeah uh so i think in my own you know in my own the the rooms that we set up and prime for people to come in and receive that's something that's in the air for sure that i've realized especially with this record is they're looking for some kind of some answers to something i have no clue what and i'm kind of tapping into something uh that's synonymous with that and I would guess for your music and people showing up for something they're obviously getting something that they need, you know. Yeah. And I think that that's why it's so what a weird profession and also so uh kind of just special. I think it's incredibly special what you do for people every night. Uh what I can, you know, facilitate is really is like no other thing. So I feel so lucky to to be able to be a part of that. So it's a very clean living, which I think is rad. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's yeah, fun.
1: It's really and it's cool. wild. Cause it
0: takes us all over the world. It's like, yeah,
1: most... it's totally wild. It's totally wild. It's like a, yeah, it's very weird. It's a communal thing, you know, like we all get room and like experience this presence together. And then we leave. It's really cool. It's bizarre.
0: <laughs> and it's bizarre that we live in a time where like this, the last century or a couple centuries, like the people that do it are celebrated. Like we, like you know, as as musicians, like we care about the musicians. Where it's like, why don't we care about other things too? I mean, I, I get it because you know we gather and look at this one person, but it's interesting the way that that the, uh, sometimes the the attention we put on certain people in positions changes. Like now, like the last however many years, now all of a sudden, like we care about chefs, and it's like, right. frick, yeah, like dude, that chef is dope. Like a hundred years ago, it was a different yeah, yeah. story, you know. Like yeah. well, different. This, di- <laughs>
1: you know what? I I have really been thinking about this in the last two days. Actually, somehow this really dropped in for me. Was it was this difference between craft and celebrity? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's Let's a go. really big yeah. difference. It's really different because celebrity is something that I think can become really off very quickly in terms of your perception of what something is happening. It's a massive projection to put on someone. You will be someone that's ungodly popular and also be someone that we will look to for some kind of moral compass, which is bizarre. It doesn't make any sense really. Yeah, Because someone might be good at singing, someone might be good at acting, all of a sudden they also need to make personal decisions that are you know somehow a guide to what I you know, what yeah. I should do. it doesn't make any sense, <laughs>
0: yeah
1: um and especially now, because of the way that the world is it's it's a really big leap to say you know that somebody in a sitcom or et cetera is supposed to be my moral compass and kind of my guru on some level because that's how I think they can be treated often sure um but to to say I like that show, you know. <laughs> That's a different thing. Yeah. I can appreciate a good actor when I see one, you know. I can appreciate a good song when I hear one. That I I feel in the business of that, of like really getting excited about music, really getting excited about good art. Someone's personal life and et cetera, is not my business. I I don't care, you know. I don't, I do not care. Um, and I think that that's—I'll probably get roasted for that or something on some level. No, I, <laughs> but yeah. if they, I think that um, I know that it's very, especially now, it's very hard to divorce one from the other. And at the same time, as a musician myself, what I'm looking for is music. I'm not really looking to understand someone's, you know, uh, family dynamics. I'm not looking to understand someone's personal dynamics, but the kind of business of celebrity, I think really intertwines them in a way that Mm -hmm. is hard to escape. So I think that reading into and believing in celebrity is kind of a, it's a, it's a little bit of like a dark game, to be honest with you. I'm not sure that I'm really there for that. And I do not wish it upon myself either. I I just, I'm excited to make music. I know they kind of come in hand in hand, but the music is what I'm excited about. Music is what I'm inspired about, and in others as well. I don't see the crossover as much for myself. It is weird. It's it's crazy that just the I don't know. Just the the interference is really wild
0: to me. Yeah, it, I mean the the classic more deep, and you know the the more heat. I think the way that you're talking about it, absolutely. And I am. I think the same thing where it's like, uh, you know, I might like Miles Davis's music, but do I really, I I would not use him as my moral compass or, (laughs) and and I don't have any reason to, you know, but also the the one thing that we get into is like, okay, is this person a role model for kids? You know, that would be one argument that people, and then- of course. It's yeah. the whole argument of, do you separate art from the artist? And where does that start and stop? And it definitely is a touchy topic. And it's like, yeah, I I,
1: uh, I don't. Of course. Of course. And it's obviously, you know, anything that makes you feel bad, dad, yeah, don't, why would you do it? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think there's a very obvious, what I'm saying is not to deny very obvious, like Sure. emotional instincts. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, I think what I'm maybe speaking to is a different topic of saying that now, right now, the amount of music that I can take in and at the same time, also, for some reason, be available to me, all that person's relationship history, all that person's, you know, tabloid history, etc. It's very hard to just receive a song Mm. anymore that is just
0: yeah, yeah, like yeah. wow
1: I've, I found something cool you know somehow now it's a spread of other information as well that actually feeds into the music maybe that's what I'm speaking to more yeah it almost is like when you hear new music it almost becomes a feedback loop of like not only is this the music you're hearing but it's also a story of their mm. life outside of the music, because we know so much. And I guess is what I'm saying. Basically, that celebrity in itself, I think it's just, if you view it as separate from the music in itself, I think it, it starts to call almost on the music a little harder to say, but what is the music in a vacuum, you know, which is very hard to do, but I think is kind of interesting to look at sometimes. Um, which, you know, I'm being a little pushy by saying that, but I think it's kind of a cool thing to explore. Yeah. To say, like, if I listen to this person's record, you know, without knowing a thing about me, then, you know, or thing about that person, how do I like the music, you know? (laughs) Uh, It's an interesting thing to think about.
0: There is a great music industry example of this. I don't know if you remember this. I don't even know why I know this, but I remember hearing about it at the time. Um, Chris Gaines. Do you know who Chris Gaines is? No, I don't. You know who Garth Brooks is? Yes, (laughs) I do. I'm uh, I'm aware. (laughs) Okay, everybody's aware of Garth Brooks, yes. So Garth Brooks was huge, right? Obviously, massive hits, selling out stadiums, whatever, in the 90s. Yeah. I don't remember the exact details of the story, but I think he basically had the idea of, look, I want people to like me for my music on my next record. I don't want them to just be stoked about a Garth Brooks record. I want them to be stoked about... This album of music, I don't I, I I don't recall any of the Chris Gaines music, but I do know that he like made an alter ego, changed look or something. Maybe he had right. like a, like a like a Fallout Boy haircut or something. I don't know for whatever reason. I feel like he had like an emo cut when he did this, <laughs> but he like put out a record as Chris Gaines to show or like to test himself. Hey, do people love my music? Are they gonna love this record? Now I again the details of this I'm not sure. I think it was kind of like it was going over okay. And then yeah. finally I think the label was like guys, we got to pull the plug. Let's, let's <laughs> let let's just let everybody know that Chris Gaines is Garth and let's get this thing to number 1. <laughs> and then I think they just exactly. sent it. They just Incredible. sent that sucker to <laughs> number 1. <laughs> But I I don't know. Maybe the whole thing was actually That's a sham incredible. and it was like just like the best marketing you could have ever done.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. That's so funny and so incredible. Yeah, it's so interesting because it's kind of a it's it's a it's a thought experiment, I think at times because it's obvious that celebrity will never go away. It's like a it's like a human need, you know, I think for sure. people to kind of look and um, you know, be almost a, a healthy amount of distraction in a way by um, pop culture. And it's like a, a beautiful thing and a terrifying thing all at the same time. Um, but yeah, that's, that is a funny example of thinking about trying to find something devoid of what something's popular for and then seeing like, so what is, you
0: know, yeah. do people like this? <laughs> I think it'd be harder like in it. pop culture. I think if, it, if it's like a music based fandom, Which, of course, like, not not to say the country music or 90s country wasn't. There actually is some great 90s country, I'll say. Especially, like, Vince Gill. I'm obsessed with that stuff. But
1: incredible. I
0: I think it may be harder in the radio country world to pull that off than, like, maybe the jazz or classical world where it— Yeah. I mean, yes, there is celebrities, but— it is kind of like, whoa, this cat's playing some, you know, it's it's going to stand it's, it's out. A in a
1: music, di- Yeah, it's a music, it's less about, um, yeah, like a narrative and more about the music itself, for sure. sure. I, I know yeah. what you mean, yeah. It's like an actual, I feel like these kind of more uh, lineage-based, tradition-based musics, like, like folk music, jazz, yeah. classical music, they are the patrons of them are keeping a lineage alive. Yeah. So the actual allegiance is to keeping a lineage alive, um, and also keeping, you know, just loving the music, not to say that, you know, these musicians are bringing something that is purely unique as well. But I think that, uh, yeah, the allegiance is to something different. I think sometimes, and maybe in pop culture, it's kind of to keep these narratives alive. Sure. You know, of like, yeah. creating these worlds that are very fantastical, and it's there's something kind of you know wonderful and outrageous about it, which is so cool, and also um, you know something terrifying <laughs> about
0: at the same time. Totally.
1: So yeah, it's all really interesting to think about for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, Margaret, this has been really fun to chat with you. Tell me, what do you, what do you got coming up next? What's what's going on? Are you out on the road? Tell us what's yes. what you're excited about.
1: Totally. I take off to um, tour tomorrow. And so we start this kind of, we, we start in Texas, but then we kind of end up on the West Coast and do West Coast leg of this Echo the Diamond tour. And then, um, yes, that's the biggest thing that's up on the docket. So just about to leave for tour and then, yeah, um, working on new music, all the things, just keeping busy for sure. Cool, I love that. Yeah, it's wonderful to hang and and to uh, really to, have we met before? I don't think we've really like hung out in the same room before, have we?
0: I feel like we met in passing once or like said hi.
1: Right, it was like something festival
0: or something or a show, but yes it is. Yeah,
1: I feel like I know you. I feel like I know you without really having hung (laughs) with you, so
0: that's fun. Well, we'll have to do it in person sometime.
1: Yes, definitely. Next time
0: I'm in, next time I'm in Jersey.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally hit us up. We'll be here. We probably won't be here, but (laughs) yeah, you're both on the road
0: enough. (laughs) Oddly enough, the funniest thing about being on the road and seeing somebody, my favorite, just weirdest interaction was Julian actually texted me once. I'm in middle of this city that I had never heard of in the Netherlands, Nijmegen, Nijmegen, uh, Netherlands. I I'm just walking down the street at like eight thirty a.m. And I get a text from Julian. It's like, Corey, this sounds really weird, but did you just walk by a coffee shop in Nijmegen? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, so I turn around, I'm like, I go back to the only coffee shop at Julian's there. I'm like, what are you doing? That's <laughs> so funny. So, so I will he... see you in the middle of nowhere Netherlands probably. Yeah, sometime. yeah, I'm sure our
1: paths will <laughs> cross very soon. Does that Was that when he um, played with you?
0: That was actually in Molde, Norway.
1: Oh, okay, Different. But that was at I a jazz it.
0: festival where it was like, there was a lot of people and a lot of, yeah, that was a whole yeah. thing. But
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That sounded so fun. So rad. It
0: was, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, so cool. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much.
0: All right, well, I will see you out there somewhere, maybe in the middle of nowhere or in New Jersey.
1: Okay, sweet. Awesome. Until next time. Yes, thanks.
0: There you have it. What a cool person. Very nice, very talented. You gotta go check out this new record. I've been digging it. I did this interview maybe two weeks ago now, three weeks ago, and I've been listening to this new album a lot ever since. And I've been finding some different live versions that they recorded for some YouTube videos that are really cool. I love the approach to recording an album the way that they did this one. And I think it's really fun. So thanks for hanging out. We will see you next time. Peace.